So um, how many of you have read the book of Noah? A couple of you. Good. Good. All right. I read it every week. It's great. Some of you, if you're new to church, there's no book of Noah. I was just messing with the church people. All right. So um, we're going to be reading in Genesis chapter 6. One of the things that I think is so fun for me about this series is that um, I think that some of the, the, the stories that we learned maybe when we were kids or when we were in Sunday school, we don't really look at a lot. We just kind of breeze past them because we think, ah, that was a cute kid's story. No, the reason we tell these stories to our kids is because they're some of the most powerful accounts in scripture. And we want our kids to get this in their heart early. So never think that you outgrow the story of Noah and the ark. Never think that you've outgrown the story of Jonah and the whale. You don't outgrow those truths. They just penetrate your heart deeper and at other levels. And so we're going to read starting in, uh, (laughs) I almost said Jonah chapter 6. I'm switching characters. How about that? Genesis chapter 6, let's start reading with verse 5. The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. That's bad news, right? So the Lord was sorry he had ever made them and put them on the earth. It broke his heart. And the Lord said, I will wipe this human race I have created from the face of the earth, yes, and I will destroy every living thing, all the people, the large animals, the small animals that scurry along the ground, and even the birds of the sky. I am sorry I ever made them. I want to listen to the language of this because a lot of people, when they read this account in Scripture, they think, see, this perfectly illustrates this wrathful, vengeful, angry God. But I want, to, I want you to notice the words that are used here. It says, it says he was sorry he had ever made them. And then listen to this. It says, it broke his heart. That, that phrase jumped off the pages at me. God's heart was broken over the sinful reality of humanity. Wow. So, so for anybody that thinks that this is just God being mean and God being angry and God being nasty, it's not. This is a story of a loving God saying, I cannot allow this type of destructive life to continue. All right, let's put it in your home. If you had a son in your home that was constantly punching his siblings in the face, elbow dropping them, throwing things at them, hitting them in the head with a a bat, would you say, son, I love you. Would you please just not do that anymore? You would have to do something significant. You would have to do something serious in order to make sure that destruction did not rain on everything that you love. And so that's the picture that we have of God here is he's stepping in saying, this destructive lifestyles cannot continue in these people. And so we read on verse eight, it says, but Noah found favor with the Lord. Why did Noah find favor with the Lord? This is a great question. It says, the next verse kind of jumps down to a new thought, but it still kind of continues to answer the question that we have. And that is, why did Noah find favor? It says, this is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless person living on earth at the time, and he walked in close fellowship with God. So why is Noah finding favor in the eyes of God? It's because... He walks with God. Why is he righteous? He's righteous not because he's good. He's righteous because he walks with God. That's the fruit. See, sometimes we think, hey, if I'll just be more holy, I'll connect better with God. The reverse of that is true. When you connect more with God, you become more holy. It's an outflow of relationship with God. It's not something that you attain on your own. And so, so Noah, I got to remember, I'm like, Moses, no, Jonah, what, which, which, one is, ah, which one is it? 
Which one are we on? Noah. All right, good. Thank you. For your confused pastor, if at some point during this message, if I say Jonah or Moses, just know I'm talking about Noah. Just skip it. Be like, okay, he hadn't had enough sleep. He's talking about Noah. So just, I'll use those three names interchangeably throughout the day, I'm sure. But just know I'm talking about Noah. So Noah was righteous because he walked in close fellowship with God. And let me tell you something that I think is really cool here. God speaks to Noah. Why does God speak to Noah? Because Noah is close. The entire world around Noah can't hear God. Why can't they hear God? Because they're making a bunch of noise for the world, right? They're consumed with their own lusts, their own desires, their own way, fulfilling themselves. There's a whole culture of people saying, I'm going to just do me, right? And Noah's the one guy that's saying, no, 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 I'm not going to just do me. I'm going to spend all the time I can walking with God. And so when, when things start to move and when God needs to do something, God speaks to Noah. And it's interesting because when we read in, in Scripture, we find that God speaks in whispers very often, doesn't he? Even Elijah, Elijah, when he goes to the mouth of the cave, right? And he sits there and there's the fire and there's a tornado and all this stuff. But when God speaks to him, how does God speak to him? In a whisper? You know, you can't hear a whisper in a concert. You can't hear a whisper across the room. You have to be in proximity of the one who's whispering to you in order to hear them. You got to stay close to hear the whispers. People talk to me all the time and say, Pastor, how can I hear God? I want to hear God. I want to hear the voice of God. How do I do it? How do I do it? How do I do it? It's simple. It's not complicated. It's not, you don't have to be this mega spiritual person, okay? First of all, if you're going to hear God, you need to read what God's already written, okay? You can't expect to know what the voice of God sounds like if you never read what he's already written to you. So a lot of people are like, I just wish God would speak to me. I just wish God would speak. And God's like, bro, I already wrote you an entire book. Why don't you start there? Right? But then the second thing is when God gives you specific revelation. This is what we would call general revelation. Then there's specific revelation that God speaks to your heart. Okay? And the specific revelation comes by proximity. Comes through closeness. Comes through intimacy. When I am away from my wife, I never hear her talking to me. It's only when I'm with her that I hear her. It's the way it is with God. Only when you're, it's the fruit of a relationship is conversation. And you'll hear God begin to speak to you, speak to you, speak to you. So just lean in, press in. As you read this, you'll learn to filter out what's God and what's the pizza, right? And then you just spend time with him, and he will begin to speak to you in powerful ways. All right, man, I'm not even done with page one, and I got five more pages to go. Come on. So let's read verse 11. It says, Now God saw that the earth had become corrupt and was filled with violence. So God observed all this corruption in the world, for everyone on earth was corrupt. How many people on earth were corrupt? Everybody. It's not like, well... That guy over there is not bad, and that guy over there, he's, you know, he's all right. Everyone was corrupt. And it says, so God said to Noah, I have decided to destroy all living creatures, for they have filled the earth with violence. What's the fruit of sin? Violence. What are we seeing in America right now? We're seeing an upswing in violence, aren't we? In, in America right now, immorality is on the rise. Consequently, so is violence. And I would argue that as people have started to push back to the image of God, they have started to push back to people as image bearers of God. And so what we do is we start to devalue humans who are created in the image of God because we've pushed back and rejected God. 
And so if I'm going to push back and reject God, I'm going to push back and reject everything that bears his image. And I'm going to devalue you. I'm going to knock you down a peg because I'm God and you're a punk. Right? Isn't that the world that we live in? Because we live in a world that says there's no absolute truth. Well, you can only make absolute statements like that if you feel that you're God. So what you're saying when you say there's no absolute truth is you're saying I'm the only one qualified to make an absolute statement. So here I am. So we live in a world full of people who have made themselves their own gods and they manage their own little kingdoms. And anything that threatens the way that their kingdom runs is an affront to who they are and they're willing to defend with force. We see that in so many areas of our lives. We see that in 1973 when abortion was legalized. Hey, this represents an affront to my kingdom in the way that I want to operate it. And so I'm going to defend myself against it. And we see it progress and progress and progress and progress. We've seen violence and robbery and homicide. All of these things steadily increasing in America. We're on the front end of the days of Noah, I believe, that Jesus spoke about. I think that we are entering some times that are dicey. So God loves this broken, fallen world so much, though, that it takes Noah about 75 years to build this gigantic boat. In 2 Peter Chapter 2, verse 5, tells us that Noah preached to the people while he was building the ark. It says, and God did not spare the ancient world except for Noah and the seven others in his family. Noah warned the world of God's righteous judgment, so God protected Noah when he destroyed the world of ungodly people with a vast flood. So imagine Noah's building this ark, and as he's building, he's preaching. Man, guys... The reason I'm building this thing is because something bad is fixing to happen. And y'all got to change the way you're doing things because God is going to do something. I'm not even 100% sure what it's going to look like, but it's going to be hardcore. It's going to be bad. I'm building this. Believe me, I would not be out here doing this if something wasn't coming. So God loves this wicked and depraved generation so much that he gives Noah a long time to build an ark. And Noah preaches and preaches and preaches. Genesis chapter 6, verse 14. It says, build a large boat. Now, here's what's interesting, because the word that's translated boat there in the New Living Translation, maybe in your translation, is actually better interpreted as box. And it's only used two times in the entire Old Testament. One, as it relates to Noah's ark or Noah's box. And the other time when it relates to Moses' basket that he was placed in when he was um, delivered by the Nile River to the palace in Egypt. So the only two times that it's used. But the word there is box, not boat. And, and so I think, it's, I think it's interesting because God didn't tell Noah to build a boat. He told him to build a box. He says, hey, Noah, I want you to build a box. Okay, I can build a box, Lord. I got this. Box. I've been, I've been ordering things from Amazon for a while. I could probably scrap a few of those together, give me some duct tape. We'll have a something. We'll have a box. Okay, Noah, here's the dimensions. Build it out of cypress wood, not cardboard. No, cypress wood. I want you to build it out of cypress. All right, cypress wood box. I think we can still do that. I, I got one that fell down in my backyard. I got get out cypress wood there. Waterproof it with tar inside and out. Then construct decks and stalls throughout its interior. Uh, Lord, I'm, I'm a little confused because I got that you want me to build a box. Is it like a model or something? Because I'm, try- I'm thinking about, 
Like, is it going to be like washer dryer size? Is it like refrigerator size? Because it sounds like if I got to build decks and stuff, and I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Could you give me some dimensions? Yes, I'll give you dimensions. Make the boat 450 feet long and 75 feet wide and 45 feet high. I'm sorry. It's <laughs> You're talking about a scale mod. Like, I'm going to need to get out my scale ruler, right? So I can do a little. No, I want you to build this box 450 feet long and 75 feet wide and 45 feet tall. And then I want you to leave an 18-inch opening below the roof all the way around the boat. Because believe me, when you find out what we're going to use this thing for, you're going to need some ventilation. Right? Right? And so put the door on the side and build three decks inside the boat, lower, middle, and upper. And so here's what I want, uh, I want to show you a picture of um, Noah's Ark, a box, not a boat. That's the one we're going with. Okay, so this is what it most likely looked like. It doesn't look like a ship, like, you know, I don't know if you guys, any of you have seen the Ark Encounter pictures or anything like that. They make this giant scale model boat. Well, probably wasn't a boat, really. It was probably just what the word says, a, a box. Because, number one, this kind of, of craftsmanship that was necessary, we are in the early, early Iron Age. You didn't have great carpenters yet. It was very rudimentary, very kind of primitive. Matter of fact, one of Noah's relatives was given credit for inventing the first metal tools. So as you read the genealogies, if you're straight nerd, you got to read the genealogies found in Genesis because it talks about these guys that invented different things. And you read about how Noah's relatives invented um, metal tools. And so as we're looking at this thing, you see there's, there's decks and there's stalls. I believe that the roof didn't probably look like that. I believe that the roof extended the full width of the boat based on the dimensions that are given. Um, so I believe that it went the full way around and the beams just kind of went up and offered openings to, again, let ventilation and light come into this place. Most people believe that Noah's family was probably on the top deck because that would be the most well-ventilated and lit area, right? And then the food storage and animals would have been on other levels. And um, people say to me all the time, did, do you really think, come on, I mean... You seem like a somewhat intelligent person. Do you really think that God saved the world by a guy on a boat? <laughs> really? Do you really think? I mean, come on. It's a box with animals in it floating for more than a year? Really? And I'm like, yeah. Yep, I do. And they're like, well, doesn't that seem improbable? I'm like, yeah, sure. But, but doesn't a guy dying on a cross and, and calling the shot and saying, hey, in three days I'm going to come back to life with power, doesn't that seem improbable? So, like, if you have a problem with miraculous events happening, this probably isn't the thing for you. But the reality is that first you got to find out what you're going to do with Jesus. Because once you find out what you're going to do with Jesus, all the rest of it will make sense to you. But if you don't know where you stand with Jesus, you're never going to know where you stand with Noah. You're never going to know where you stand with Jonah. You're never going to know where you stand with Lazarus. You're never going to know where you stand with the feeding of the 5,000. You're never going to know where you stand on any miracle throughout the scripture until you know where you stand with Jesus. But then once you believe this improbable account that Jesus would come to earth and fulfill more than a hundred specific prophecies about who he is. When you believe 
that he died on a cross, when you believe that he rose from the dead, when you believe that he ascended into heaven and said, hey, guys, I'm coming back the same way you see me go. So you watch me do this little hot air balloon trick right now, flying up in the sky, disappearing from sight. Guess what? I'm going to return the same way. But when I come back, it's going to look a whole lot different because I'm going to be riding on a horse and there's going to be a whole mess of people with me and I'm going to make things right. Like, I'm just saying... To a watching world, that sounds insane. But to those who believe, it is the power of God. And I'm telling you guys, I believe 100% hook, line, and sinker because I've watched God move over and over and over again. And the more I study this book, the more convinced I am the more convinced I am. So this was a gigantic box. Let's show the next slide here. How big was Noah's Ark? Noah's Ark is still to this day the largest wooden ship ever built. Nobody's ever built anything on that scale out of wood besides Noah 6,000 years ago. That's pretty impressive. It sounds like it might be a God thing. Right? That's how big it is compared to the Titanic, how big it is compared to a 747. Now, check this out. This thing had 1,396,000 cubic feet of storage space. It's a lot. That is a gross tonnage of almost 14,000 tons of displacement that it can handle. It has a capacity of 522 railroad stock cars, which means that it could hold a little over 125,000 sheep-sized animals. And why do we say sheep-sized animals? Is because a sheep is the average size of an animal. Some are smaller, some are larger, but the average is a sheep. When you look at, I didn't come up with that. Scientists came up with that. I just kind of read their stuff. But so I didn't make this stuff up. This stuff comes from guys smarter than me. So 125,000 sheep-sized animals would fit in this thing. That's a lot. So, so Noah is called to build a floating zoo by faith. Remember, he lives more than 100 miles from the nearest large body of water. He's out in his backyard building this boat. Can you imagine? Hey, uh, hey, Noah, what you building? Well, it's a box, but God said, verse 17, look, I'm about to cover the earth with a flood that will destroy every living thing that breathes. Everything on earth will die, but I will confirm my covenant with you. So enter the boat with you and your wife, your sons and their wives. Bring a pair of every kind of animal, a male and a female, into the boat with you to keep them alive during the flood. Pairs of every kind of bird and every kind of animal and every kind of small animal that scurries along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. That's why Baltimore rats are still thriving, right? And be sure to take on board enough food for your family and for the animals. So Noah did everything exactly as God had commanded. Noah was the first doomsday prepper. Right? This guy would have had his own show on cable. Right? Doomsday preppers, Noah edition. Right? This guy, he's putting everything together for what God has predicted is coming. And the whole time he's building, he's preaching. Hey, guys, it's getting ready to get bad. I don't know. The Bible doesn't say anywhere that Noah was mocked, okay? That's kind of one of those things that we assume, and I heard it when I was in Sunday school. How many of you ever heard that Noah was mocked? Okay, so we don't read that anywhere in the biblical account. But it's pretty safe to say as you're reading this stuff, your mind starts to fill in kind of where human nature would take over. And we're assuming that if this is a wicked place, with a lot of violent people, and Noah's building a gigantic box in his backyard, people are probably going to be making fun of him, right? I think that's a fair assumption. And the whole time, and again, remember, he's preaching according to Second Peter, the whole time he's building, so as he's preaching, he's 
you know, telling these guys. And it's probably not something that this 500-year-old man and his sons can pull off by himself. So he's probably bringing in work crews, maybe paying them. I don't know how it all went down. Um, the movie says there were rock monsters that helped him build it. I totally disavow that. I don't think there were rock monsters. But Hollywood's really great at embellishing amazing stories and making them dumb. So, so here we have Noah building this thing, and he's, he's got all these people that he's got to interact with to get supplies and get stuff and build this thing in a, in a 55 to 75-year time period, and he's, he's constructing this thing, and the whole time he's telling them, hey, the whole reason I'm building this is because God's judgment's coming. It's going to be bad. It's going to be scary. It's going to be dicey. You want to be on? Come on. You can still get on board. Still get on board. But this miracle was overlooked by the people. Now flip over to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. How many of you know what the what Hebrews chapter 11 is called? It's referred to as the the faith chapter. Some people call it the Hall of Fame of faith. I like it. And so we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 11. Would you guys agree with me that this is a pretty big faith move by Noah? Never rained up to this point, according to Genesis chapter 2. We believe it had never rained up to this point. Genesis' account of creation talks about how that there was, God separated the waters from the waters, and the expanse between the waters he called sky. Well, that's weird, right? So there's this idea that there's oceans and, and water beneath, but then there's this expanse of sky, and then there's kind of another ocean that encircled the globe. Again, really strange to our modern thinking. Um, there is some scientific evidence that suggests that the world at one time was filled with smaller oceans that were salt water. And there were many more streams. But the Genesis account also tells us that when the floodwaters came, that the, the, the springs of the earth broke open and water gushed forth. And then the water from the skies fell down in torrents. I believe it was during that time. Again, this, this is not something that I can say as a absolute stone-cold lock based on Scripture, but the evidence would seem to me to suggest that there was a canopy of water that collapsed around the earth at the time of the flood and changed the landscape of the earth. As a matter of fact, again, going back to the genealogies, when we read about Noah's um, the line that comes after him, we re read about the fact that in the days of Peleg, the earth was united, or Pangea, it was together. But after Peleg, the lands separated into continents. Again, this all fits, and this was all written, by the way, by Moses, who was thousands of years before Google Maps, there was no Google Earth to explain continental drift. There were no geologists to talk about these theories. But Moses tells us that the Earth used to be together, then there was a continental shift, and then we have the world the way it is. Weird coincidence, I'm sure. So, here we get to Hebrews chapter 11. This massive move of Noah by faith qualifies him for one verse in the Hall of Fame of Faith. My man gets a verse, like an honorable mention. Good job, Noah. Way to build that ark. Save all of humanity. Nice work. So, here's what it says. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. It says, it was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God who warned him about things that had never happened before. By his faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world, and he received the righteousness that comes by faith. So as we look at this thing, we see that Noah built by faith, didn't he? And how do we know that he built by faith? Because he obeyed. Faith, Hebrews 11.1 1 says, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not yet seen, right? And so you don't see a flood, you see a dry backyard. 
And God says, build a box. Okay, I could do a box because it's going to flood. What? It's going to what? Yeah, it's going to rain and it's going to flood. It's, what is rain? I don't even, what are we talking about? Just build a box, Noah. Okay, I'll build a box. But I want you to passionately preach about what you don't yet see the whole time you're building this weird box in your backyard. Okay? That's what faith looks like in action. It's not an abstract hope. It's an engaged in behavior of obedience. And so that's what Noah does. Now, here's what's cool. You ready for this? Because why, I'm going to read this again. It was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family. So what was it that gave him the faith to do what he was, what was it that gave him the gumption to do what he was supposed to do? Faith, right? So faith. And then he obeyed God. So that's the sign that he had faith, right? But then what does that faith lead to? It says, by his faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world, and he received the righteousness that comes by faith. So where does righteousness come by? By faith. Do you come with righteousness to get faith? No. Righteousness is the byproduct of faith. But why did God choose Noah to begin with? He was righteous. See, Noah had made a habit of being obedient to the unseen because he was walking with a God he couldn't see. So if you're walking with a God who you can't see, it makes a lot more sense to be obedient to do things that you don't yet see. But if you're not walking with a God that you don't see, then it makes it a little tougher to be obedient for things that you can't see, right? Much less to preach about things you can't see. And so every single person in this room is at a jumping off point for your faith. And it requires a step. And that step is obedience. Some of you have never even crossed the line of faith. You're like, eh, I don't know. You were talking about the cross and the resurrection and the horse thing, which sounds weird. I'm just not sure. Your first step is to have the faith to obey and say, yeah, it doesn't all make sense, but I believe. And I'm going to embrace it. Even though I don't understand it all, I'm going to embrace it. I'm going to jump in. And once you cross that line, all of a sudden righteousness starts to take hold. See, people make the mistake all the time and they get it reversed and they think they got to do better and get better and be better before they can come to Jesus. And Jesus is like, no. Just come to me. Come on, right? And so we see this, this cycle of redeemed life. It's, it's faith begets obedience and obedience begets righteousness, which begets more faith which begets more obedience. And so you just continue in this cycle. There's this spiritual inertia that begins to happen and momentum starts to form, right? And, and the more you move, the more you operate, the more you obey, the bigger your faith gets. And the bigger your faith gets, the bigger your obedience has to get. But the bigger your obedience gets, the bigger your righteousness gets, and the more you reflect the person who's calling you to do it. You guys see how this works? Isn't this cool? Did you ever remember getting taught this in Sunday school? I didn't. Every single person in this room, some of you have been walking with Jesus for a while. But God is asking you to take another step of faith, a deeper step of faith, a harder step of faith, which is going to require a new level of obedience. And by, by necessity, a new level of fear accompanies that. See, fear is not necessarily the enemy of faith. Sometimes fear is a partner of faith. 
Sometimes fear is a good sign you're on the right track. I always wonder about the first person that ever rode on a rocket ship. You think they were afraid? Absolutely. Why do you think they built catheters into those suits, man? It's just one of those things. You're like, well, I don't have to go to the bathroom anymore. You know, I like you feel those thrusters starting to shake that thing, and you've watched them before explode in the in the process of trying to get it right. And you're like, I don't know what the odds are, but this is scary. If you're going to do things that other people aren't doing, it should scare you a little bit. And God always wants you to be doing something that's beyond you. It's just his nature. He's always calling you. We sing that song, Oceans, all the time. He calls me out upon the water, right? How many of us really, really sing that song with conviction and like, I want to step out. I want to walk on the water. Or do we sing it? I'd rather stay inside the boat. It's not as scary here. I like it better. Right? Or, or do we want to say, he calls me out on the water to the great unknown where feet may fail. I don't even know if I got the lyrics wrong because I always screw up the lyrics on stuff, but I think that's right. But what if I step out of the boat and my feet fail? What if, I, what if I'm like Peter and all of a sudden I start to sink? Guess what? If you're walking toward him, he's always going to be there even when you sink and he's going to grab you and pull you up. Come on, guys. I want you to understand this. Just walk to him. Walk to him. It's always funny to me that, that the disciples are kind of hard on Peter for sinking. If I were Peter, I'd be like, how many of you clowns stepped on the water? Y'all are in here cozy. I was on the water with Jesus. Right? And so I think we've got to step out. For, for, for Mary and I, we're in this place where we're stepping out into some stuff that's scary. I, I told you guys. I've had some times where I'm having freak out moments because this thing is bigger than me. We're moving in the direction, and you guys know this, that we're, we're, we've been appointed as U.S. missionaries to the city of Baltimore. We're going to continue pastoring this church. So I don't want anybody to freak out and say, you're going to be the pastor. Yes, we're going to continue to pastor this church. We're going to continue to work with Teen Challenge, but we believe that what God has called us to in this city is bigger than what we can see. And, and, and here's what I know. What God wants to do is bigger than our abilities to accomplish. I just don't have the skill set to accomplish what God's called us to, but the good thing is, is that God doesn't need an expert shipbuilder Let me just make this quick point. Noah had no training to build a ship. Engineers built the Titanic. Just saying. So God never calls the qualified. He always qualifies the called. If you're willing to step toward Jesus, he'll say, come on, son, I'm qualified. Just walk with me. Just walk with me. You stay close. You lean in. I'll help you. Don't worry. Just lean in. I'll tell you. Every step of the way, I'll tell you. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. And so here's the thing. I believe that we're standing on the precipice of something amazing. And all along the way, for me, still, there are people telling me we can't do it, we can't do it, we can't do it. To which I always reply, you're right, you're right, you're right. I can't do it. But here's the great thing. We couldn't see Highland be a thriving, healthy church again either when we moved to Baltimore. We had people tell us that church probably will never turn around. Really? Really? 
It's been without a pastor too long. There's too many things that have happened. Really? Because I think that's exactly the kind of story that God likes to write. And it's not about Mary and I and our leadership. It's about God's ability to come in and do what other people say can't be done. Right? And, 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 and people told me all the time, they're like, well, you know, you, you, can't, you can't do teen challenge and pastor. Well, okay. I still feel like God told me to do it. So what am I supposed to do with that? Am I supposed to listen to you or am I supposed to listen to what I feel like God's telling me to do? And here we are almost four years later. And nobody's dead yet, which is good, right? And God is doing things still. And, and, and here's, here's the thing that, that I feel like is so cool is that what people miss is 1 Thessalonians 5.24 that says, the one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. So I'm just responsible. I'm not responsible for the results. I'm responsible to be faithful. I'm responsible to be obedient. That's what I'm responsible for. Outside of that, it's God's job. Results are not my job. They've never been my job. How many people get saved is not my job. It's God's job. My responsibility is to preach and proclaim and be faithful. And what am I supposed to be doing tomorrow? Just be faithful. How about the next day? Be faithful. What about when I forget and get freaked out and don't know what to do next? Just be faithful. What about when I don't have a time when I've got all the plans nailed down and figured out and I start to freak out and wonder what's going to happen? Be faithful. God's called you to be faithful, and he says he will do it. I need you guys to understand something. We are building something now as a church that I don't think that we can fully understand. I think it's kind of like Noah on the front end of boat building. He, he wasn't a shipbuilder. He wasn't savvy on ocean navigation. But the cool thing about the ark as it was built, there's no instructions for navigation. There's no instructions for propulsion. It's just build the boat because I'll direct it. I'll take it where it needs to go. I'll navigate the cruise. You don't worry. Go for it. You just go take somebody their bags and, and don't worry because the love boat's going to sail on, okay? A lot of you guys are like, the love boat? I don't, what? Just time travel back to the 80s. You'll get it. And so the thing that I think is so cool is that I really believe that in the next two years, we're going to see more happen than we've seen in the last eight years combined. I really do. I, I feel like there, I was talking to, to my board a little earlier today, and I said, I, I don't really know what it feels like to be pregnant. Well, I don't at all know what it feels like to be pregnant, not even a little bit. <clears throat> but I've watched my wife do it three times, and so I feel pretty confident that I know what it looks like. And, and, and where I feel right now is my spirit is pregnant. Like something is being birthed in the spirit. In this church, in this city, that is going to blow my mind. And I don't, I don't have a picture of it all. But here's, here's the thing that I think is so cool. We're already feeding and clothing people who are struggling, struggling every single week. This week, I'm walking around, and I got to pray. As soon as this lady walked in the doors of the church, God just, like, put a highlight on her. And I noticed her when she walked in the door. And then the Spirit of God, I just watched the Spirit of God move on her all week. I watched her interact with Stacy. I watched her interact with Pastor Loretta. I watched her interact with uh, one of our guys from Teen Challenge. And I'm just watching the Spirit. It's Pastor Mike is, is speaking. She's, she's just tearing up. And, 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 and God spoke to me. He said, I want you to go share something with her. And I, I went over right over there and I was sitting near where Barbara is and I was just praying and I was trying to discern what the Lord was speaking and I didn't have a word. And I was like, I just feel like I'm supposed to go talk to her, but I don't have anything to say to her. So I just go pray for her. And so I went over to pray for her. And as I started praying for her, God started giving me a word of knowledge for her. And it started coming out stuff that there's no way I could have known, but God knew. And as I started speaking to her, she just started weeping, like just 
big, heavy sobs, like, how did you know that? And I said, I didn't know that, but God knows you. God knows you, and he cares about you. And you know what? Things right now, it doesn't seem like she's heading the direction towards Jesus that I was hoping she would take. But you know what? That's not my responsibility. And that's where we get caught up sometimes. We think, man, I, I got to get up and I got to do this and I got to move and I got to help and I got to, and, and we just struggle and strive. And God says, would you calm down, son? Why are you stressed? Do you know who I am? I just use your little wimpy mouth to proclaim something to this woman that only I could know, and I'm working. So calm down, boy. Yes, sir. Let's just keep being faithful. Because some sow, some water, whose job is it to bring the increase? God's job. It's God's job. It's God's job. It's interesting because now at this stage of the game, we have people that have said to us, it was kind of shocking actually to me a little bit when I went to general counsel. I had a friend of mine that I knew growing up that is also a pastor, and we were talking, and I was telling him, I'm so excited about what God's doing. And I just can't help but share it everywhere I go. I like, I just like vision leaks out. And I'm like, shoot, shoot, I don't want to. And it just keeps coming out. And I'm like, oh, man, I can't. Because I, I'm so excited. I've never in my life been this excited about what God's doing. And I share it everywhere I go. Because I believe that God is doing something so significant, I can barely stand it. And so I'm sharing about our call to be U.S. Missions, missionaries. And, and you know what he says? He says, well, how in the world are you going to do that? And I was just like, for realsies? You just went with how you going to do that? My wife just graciously walked away. She was like, and there I am, trapped. Thanks a lot, Mayor. She knew that God gave me the grace for the moment, though. <laughs> because there are times when people say, how are you going to do that? Or when people say, you can't do that. That there's a little of my old man that still wants to come out, you know? I know y'all never deal with that. But this, but this preacher does. And sometimes my old man, I'm like, get back down in there. Crucify again. Crucify again, right? But I say, you know, here's what I've seen over the years of my ministry life. I had a pastor tell me that I was an average children's pastor at best. I've had people tell me that we couldn't plant a church. I've had me, people tell me that we couldn't see a turnaround in Baltimore. I've had people tell me that we couldn't work with Teen Challenge. I've had people tell me, you can't, you can't, you can't. And you know what? You're right. I can't, but he can. And the one who called me is faithful, and he will do it. And that's what I told him. And he just kind of looked at me and went, oh. See, because I'm not stressed. Because You know what? My reputation is not on the line because I don't care. I don't care. On my best day, I'm just a servant of Jesus. Like that's the highest elevation I can ever claim is I serve Jesus. So any fruit that you see from anything I do is certainly not me. It's Christ in me. It's the hope of glory. It's Christ in me. And I'm a firm believer that the local church is the hope of the world because the hope is Christ in you and me. And the second our head starts to get swollen with what we think we've accomplished, we're in trouble, gang. And so I don't worry about my reputation because it's not my reputation to be gained or lost. I count everything worthless in the shadow of the cross of Christ, because it's him. I just want to elevate him, guys. 
That's what I want for this whole church. That's what I want for this movement. I want to see us elevate Christ. Because the scripture says that when he is lifted up, he will draw men. We see ministries where men are lifted up all the time, and it's so excruciatingly painful to watch as those ministries suffer, as, as those men fall. But man, if Christ is the only one elevated, don't have to worry about the brokenness of man, right? I'm going to share just a couple of things, and then I'm going to land the plane. <clears throat> um, what, what is happening now, you're going to be hearing a term quite frequently. We talk about Hope City Ministries. And Hope City Ministries is the fruit of what we are doing here at Highland Community Church, okay? But we need a bigger kind of umbrella to talk to people as we go around. Mary and I are going to be going around quite often to churches to raise awareness about what God is doing in the city through this ministry. And we're going to be raising funds to do the work in the ministry, okay? And so my goal is to uh, raise enough funds to free up income in the ministry to be able to do more, to hire more staff, to do more things. We're already feeding people every week. We're already clothing people every single week. Literally thousands over the course of the year get clothes and food because of what we do in this church. I don't know if y'all realize that or not, but that's pretty stinking cool. So cool. And, and, and we're already uh, in relationship with the public schools and we get into the public schools and we, we have relationship with the teachers. As a matter of fact, I got um, notification. I'm not sure if we're going to be able to pull it off or not, but the school just found out that they uh, want to come and use our location to pass out 400 backpacks to kids going back to school at John Rura. Why are they doing that? Why are they reaching out to us? Because we've already been reaching out to them. And so it's the natural fruit of that relationship to say, hey, when we do something, something to impact the community. We want to go with people who are impacting the community. So we want to do that on a greater level. We want to continue to work with the schools and work with people as we grow the ministries that are going to affect change in this city. And let me help you understand, this isn't just compassion stuff. This is Jesus stuff. Because compassion helps people for a minute, but Jesus helps them for the rest of their life. And we're under no illusion because political systems are broken systems. Man's systems are broken systems. The only system that functions perfectly is the system of redemption under the person of Jesus, okay? So if we're going to see this city change, we've got to see this city redeemed. And the redemption only comes in the person of Jesus. Okay, I'm preaching again. I'm sorry. All right, so we're, we're already doing that, though. And we're doing the Syrian refugee ministry. Stacy and Rachel are involved working with uh, tutoring in a, in a Syrian refugee family. Pastor Mike and Loretta are over at Eastern Assembly of God today sharing about the friends and family dinner that's going to be hosted over there. And you really need to know about this because we have Muslim people from Syria who've been... Who who've had their lives wrecked by their own dictator as he bombs and destroys his own country. And there are people running in fear, literally hiding under concrete slabs to save their family. And they're here in America, in Dundalk, Maryland, in Southeast Baltimore, and they're saying, would somebody please help us? And if the church of Jesus Christ is silent in this moment... We are foolish. This is the moment for the church of Jesus Christ to rise up and engage with people who say, I just wish somebody would help me. I just wish somebody would love on our family. We don't speak the language. We don't know anybody. Would somebody please just come have dinner at our house? We just want to know you. Guys, this is the stuff that gets pent up in my heart as I pray over this stuff all the time. I want to see God bring a change in our city. And it starts here. It starts with you. Man, when I look at who you guys are, I brag everywhere I go. We have the most loving, amazing, beautiful church in the entire city of Baltimore. I'm blown away 
by how you guys consistently love on people. But now it's grown bigger than that. It's not just about the people that come through these doors. It's about going to people where they are and taking what we have and depositing it in their lives. God's doing something. That's why we're so passionate about this idea of Hope City Ministries. It expands the umbrella. It gives us more opportunities. It lets us get into other churches in our area and say, guys, we're already doing this, but it's not one church in Baltimore, in Southeast Baltimore. It's the church in Baltimore, and you're a part of it. Praise God, I just baptized the stage. That's passion. Man, when you can save a stage and baptize it all in one Sunday morning. (laughs) Yes, not today, devil. Not today. Guys, I'm telling you, this is the interface. This is the vehicle. This is the way that we do this. And God is moving. Do you sense that God is moving? Do you sense that he's up to something? There are opportunities that are now presenting themselves that we've literally been praying for for eight years. Since I've been a part of Teen Challenge, and long before I became the executive director, we've been praying for a women's center. God, please, we need a women's center. Please, we need a women's center. And God's just been saying, prepare, wait. Prepare, wait. Pray, wait. Prepare, wait. And I had a conversation over the last couple of weeks with somebody that said, hey, we tried to start a women's center and we can't. So we want to help Teen Challenge, who already does men's centers really well. We want to help you do a women's center. So we want to help facilitate and fund starting a women's center in Baltimore. Would you partner with us? Come on, guys. We, God is opening doors for after school programs for kids and teenagers. How many of you know that the most messed up time of the week is between the time kids get out of school and the time mom and dad come home? There's a lot of screwed up stuff that happens in that few hours. We can make a difference there. Churches in Baltimore County that look at the city and they watch the news and they hear, hey, Baltimore's already had 215 homicides this year. We've had almost 700 shootings. We've had 300 rapes. Are you kidding me? Somebody in Canton, last night, somebody broke into their house and tried to set it on fire while their family was sleeping. That's not acceptable. But I got to tell you, politicians are on the hook for it, but they don't have the solution for it, and they'll never have a solution for it. Jesus is the solution for it. And if we can begin to influence the kids, we can see the change come. Last thing I want to share before I, I wrap up the sermon, I know I'm taking a long time, but this is important stuff, guys. We have an opportunity now to do something that we've been wanting to do for a long time. I believe that raising up the next generation of pastors and missionaries is one of the most critical things that we can do as a church, period. That's why we invest in fine arts. That's why we, we invest in discipleship. That's why we try to reach kids while they're young. That's why we have children's ministry, not babysitting, because we believe that it's important to invest deeply the things of God into children and youth. And we have been praying for a long time about having a school of ministry here in Baltimore. And over the last couple of weeks, God has opened some doors for us to start a school of ministry in Baltimore, right here in this location. And um, it, it looks like as things are tracking now that we'll be able to start it in fall of 2020. Come on. Now, let me give you, let me give you the specifics because this is really cool, okay? It's, it's, it will be called Hope City School of Urban Missions. And it will offer a four-year degree, bachelor's degree, that is accredited by the National Association of Bible Colleges, but it's also accredited by the same accrediting organization that gives accreditation to UC Berkeley. That's pretty decent, right? And so the degree is accredited so you could take it anywhere. 
okay? It offers bachelor's level degrees, and it offers master's level degrees, and in the next year, it will be offering a a doctor of ministry degree as well. It will be a four-year degree that you're able to earn in three years. How, you might ask, can we earn a degree in three years? I want to do a late-night television infomercial. I think that would be fun, right? As for all of the moms that have newborn babies that are sitting there like, oh, Jesus, please come soon. We need, no. But so, so what we have is three years is what it takes. And, and the reason is, is because we will be offering what's called a cohort location. Uh, the School of Urban Missions is located in El Dorado Hills, California. And they have almost 1,000 cohort locations around the globe. And so what their goal is, is to get in the major metro areas and, and create these schools of missions where people aren't just book studying about what it means to do missions in the city, but they're doing missions in the city while they're learning about doing missions in the city. How many of you would like to have a surgeon who has read a lot of books on surgery but has never done a surgery? Anybody want to sign up? No. You want a surgeon who's done something, right? You want, you want somebody doing urban missions who's done urban missions. I was talking to somebody this week, and I said, you know, I'll be honest with you. I wouldn't hire you to be on my staff if you haven't done ministry before. If you're just getting an education but you're not doing ministry, I, I'm not even going to entertain conversations about hiring you because the proof of your calling is in what you're doing, right? And so, so the, the other part of this is that most Assembly of God schools are around $30,000 a year to get your degree. This one is $30,000 for the full degree. Come on, somebody. And, and so, so we are super excited. Mary and I are going to be flying out in October to El Dorado Springs or El Dorado Hills. I don't remember what it's called now. Hills, yes. It's right outside of Sacramento. We're going to be going out there. They've invited us out to meet with their team to talk about um, all of the details for starting a cohort here in Baltimore. And so we are super, super excited. But I just want to share that with you guys. Are you excited about what God's doing? Super cool. The last thing I want to do here is there are some strong parallels between the days of Noah and today in the city of Baltimore. Again, we just talked about the, the murder and the violence and the craziness. And um, the, the thing that I see here is that I'm not Noah. And I don't have the ability to put a bunch of people on a piece of wood and save them from destruction. But wait a second, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? Isn't there a story somewhere about somebody that, that put all of depraved men on a piece of wood with him and saved them? See, Jesus is the ark. And John chapter 10, verse 9 says, I am the door. If any, anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that you might have life. How many doors were on the ark? How many doors are there to salvation? Jesus says, come through the door, right? Now, here's something that's really cool. Flip back, and I promise I'm, I'm, I'm shutting it down. Turn back to Genesis chapter 6. Verse 14, this is something that we miss. Build a large boat from cypress wood and waterproof it with tar inside and out. The word that's used for tar is the same root word as the word for atonement. The exact same word. And so he says, cover the ark that will save humanity with atonement. And then once you walk through the door, you're covered by the atonement and you will be saved. The other thing that I think is so cool about that is because of the atoning cover, what happens to the boat is it lifts everyone in it above the violence, above the chaos, above the rain, above the pain, above the struggle. 
It just keeps lifting and lifting. And the higher the problems get, the higher and more difficult things are, the higher it lifts everyone covered in the atonement. Amen? All right, stand with me. God, thank you for what you're doing here. I feel like, um, I don't know, I just feel kind of incapable of leading what I feel like you're doing. Um, some days I feel incapable of communicating and articulating the vision that you have put in me so strongly. Um, but I know, God, that as I am faithful, you're going to allow everything to sink in and occur the way that you've designed it. And God, you are going to bring this thing to life. You're going to put flesh on it, and you're going to bear it out. And Lord, you never called me to build an ark, but you did call us to build some ramps to get people into the ark. And so God, as we approach what we're doing in this city, as we approach what you're calling us to in this city, Lord, we just pray that you would help us build these ramps strategically to move people into the ark of the atonement so that you can transform their lives, Lord. And I believe bring transformation to this city. I pray, God, that you would open doors, design it the way that you have it, God, not man's design, your design, and help us to pursue you with all of our hearts as you lead and direct us in every way. In Jesus' name we pray, the whole church said, amen. Thank you, guys. God bless you.